WFH with two guys. Now here's Benny and Dennis. Inevitably, Dennis, the conversation that we start having after we've had our run for a little bit, you and I have owned our businesses for over a decade and we've had a lot of good successes and we have to start thinking a little bit down the road about what's next for us, what's next in our journey. Inevitably, Dennis, it's, it's all about our exit and what we're going to do next. You bet. And I mean, you know, there's two ways to exit. It's the bad way and just give it up or the good way is to grow it and make it valuable so that other people want it and it, you personally can make some money at it and they also have a, a vibrant, thriving industry or company that they can actually do something mm-hmm. with. And um, those are not easy. I mean, the, people kind of take that for granted, and especially as you get sometimes near the finish line. I was, I was listening. If you watch the, the Derby over the weekend, um, mm-hmm. they talked about there was a horse, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago that was <clears throat> 20 feet from the finish line and the jockey slowed him up and they ended up, he was winning and he ends up losing the race because he doesn't finish strong those last 20 yards of the race and someone snuck by him. And I think mm. that can happen to a lot of business owners that they're, they're running that race. They're doing really, really well. They see the finish line, but then they just kind of give up or stop doing the things that are important. You know, there's all kinds of things that you've got to be invested in all the way to the finish until you hand that baton off to somebody. So Jim, let's talk a little bit about that. And thanks by the way, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. The idea of selling our business is really cool, right? It's 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 something that we all kind of shoot for as the as the end goal. But you know, it, it's not an easy thing, is it? It's not. And you know, there's a couple things that that really kind of factor into it. Is one of the things that I, I do with a lot of the companies that we work with is I tell them way before they are ready to sell their business is come up with your price, like you should have a good idea of what your business is worth. And I don't mean the pie in the sky, you know, oh, if somebody gave me this, I'd I'd walk out of here with a check. You need to know realistically, what is it worth? What is a good price? What's a bad price? So that you don't look foolish if somebody makes you an offer on the spot. And, you know, there's going to be a range in there. There's the, I'm not selling for less than this. You know, anything less than this doesn't make sense. And then there's also the pie in the sky. You know, if somebody wrote me an an offer for that amount, well, I'm out of here. And we should know that. Um, You know, the other thing that kind of goes into that is when you start talking about selling your business, it's kind of like a senior in high school or a, a kid in school getting close to summer. And you have to be really careful of that because they'll get themselves in trouble. They'll get that senioritis where they get excited. Maybe somebody put an offer out there. Maybe somebody is doing some due diligence and, you know, might be purchasing. And a lot of times people will get excited about what they're going to do next. So much so that they let the existing business lag. And that's a leadership issue. Because, you know, you in that seat of driving this business, if you're in fact, if that is your main role uh, at this point, when you let your foot off the gas, the team, the team will know. And you really set the bar for what is acceptable in your company, really from day one to the last day. And you need to make sure that you don't let that happen. And, And it happens to a lot of business owners. And what 
the the really negative side of it is what if that de that deal doesn't work out and now all of a sudden you're back in your business and you come back in the next day all fired up everybody's got to everybody's got to start performing well they were following your lead mm. you're you're the one that that caused this and i'm not saying you can't fix it but if you are cognizant of that from the beginning not to let that performance slide to stay focused on your business and to really be all in there's no negative side to it. And sometimes you have to explain that to the business owner because they need to run this thing as if they were always going to run it. As if 10 years from now, your, your income is dependent upon what you are doing with the business. Well, if you stay focused just like that and there is an offer on the table, well, then either it becomes a better deal or, you know, it's not a good enough deal. They're not willing to pay enough money for it. And you continue to run your business. You should stay all in on your business and, um, and not get complacent. And I know that's easier said than done, but we, we have to fight complacency as leaders. That's, that's just part of what we have to do. So Jim, when you say all in, let's, what's that mean? I mean, if I'm, I know what it means, but to a listener, I mean, yeah. how to, what, what, what's that mean to somebody that owns a business? Well, you know, think about anything else in your life that you procrastinate with, like, you know, um, I need to do this. And you know you need to, whether it's lose weight, whether it's uh, paint the house, whatever that is, right? Uh, you've got the list of things. Or when you're talking to somebody about them buying the business, well, if I was going to keep it, I would do this and this and this. Then why aren't you? You know, uh, I'm, I'm working with a, a guy right now that's, uh, that's selling his business. And you know, while we're walking through this process and we've got a, a great buyer that's, you know, flying into town, looking at the business, that's great. And I posed a couple questions on what he's doing to level up his team. And like just about anybody else is, well, I'm, you know, looking at what I'm going to do next. I said, no, you, you if, if you're going to take my advice, my advice is going to be all, be all in as if you were not selling this business because it benefits you either way. You're either going to increase the price of what it's worth. You're going to solidify that they are going to uh, buy this business or they're not going to buy the business and you're going to make extra money. And over the course of the last 60 days, this particular business owner, uh, we just talked last week and he said, Jim, I've, I've already pulled out a hundred thousand more than I did at this point last year. And my financials look roughly the same because I have decided that we're not going to let our economy slow down. I have decided that I'm going to do things to speed this up as if we were going to stay in the business long term. That's exactly what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. You should be focusing on increasing the value of either the business that you own today that you're still going to own tomorrow or the one that you're selling. Like, right. You should, you should run all the, you know, just like your running analogy or your, your, uh, uh, racehorse analogy. You, there's, I mean, you can look over your shoulder after the race is done. Don't look back. Like act like, you know, you're somebody's on your heels the whole time. No, I and, and you know, it's funny. I, I have been on the other side of this fence where I've been an employee of a company mm -hmm. and we as employees knew something was up. Yeah. We knew that the owner was checked out or they, you know, they were coming in later every day or maybe sometimes not at all. And we could feel that something was not right. The culture of the, of the company started to change a little bit. And 
subsequently, I think it ended up hurting the valuation of the company uh, toward the end. But uh, you know, I think you were that's something that was just I'm shake. I was just nodding my head. Yeah, I totally get what you're coming here because I've I've been on this other side before. Yeah, you know, one of the things that depending on the business and depending on the relationship that the leader or the owner has. A lot of times I'll encourage them to let the team know. And I know this is taboo sometimes. Like, and, and if we backed up 10 years ago, uh, you know, you'd probably edit this portion out. It's <laughs> no, we would never do that. But, you know, if your goal is to sell the company, they can't help you sell the company. They can't help you do the right things to sell the company if they don't know. And you know, and again, I'm not saying that this is this fits everybody, but a lot of the time, if you let them know what's going on, so I, I'll give you an example. So, you know, back up a few years ago, the company that I I grew here in Nashville, there were there were two potential buyers on the block, and one of them was offering more money and was willing to take the entire like every single person. They wanted the entire entity to come in and 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 really you know, do great things. Another one wanted to give it a haircut right out of the gate and, you know, do the things that I would not advise to do. Um, you know, unfortunately the ownership group went with the, the offer that, uh, was not for everyone and, and was in the first order of businesses, they gave the entire staff a 20% haircut. And, you know, this particular entity there, they were known for, we're going to turn over 40 to 60% of the staff right out of the gate. We're going to hire our own staff and, and do this thing our own way. And that's well and good, but you're just buying doors at that point. You're not buying something that's going to make you better because you're getting some talent along with it, in my opinion. And, you know, depending upon what you're, what you're doing, you know, some, some places they, they want it for the assets they're going to dismantle it well and good. But then you've got other other uh, opportunities. You know, I think back to when uh, Berkshire Hathaway bought um, Goodall Homes. You know, they wanted Bob Goodall in the whole bunch because they saw it as this is a thriving company and we just, we want to profit off of it. We don't necessarily want to dismantle it. We want to keep, you know, throw some uh, fuel to the fire. And so and, and learn from it and use it to go somewhere else and help another one that's not doing as well. I mean, there's all kinds of good things. I see that a lot where companies will have a, a really good people or a good system in place and someone will buy them because they want to figure out, okay, what are they doing? And sometimes they're the smaller entity or they're the bigger entity or the smaller vice versa, but they're, they're trying to get, there's something you've got either people or assets or, systems and all that kind of stuff. And I, Jim, you know, I come across people a lot that, you know, I hear, oh, I don't want to automate because I don't want to spend the money. Spending an extra year or two automating and making yourself more efficient may turn a huge profit that makes you that much more valuable that you didn't realize before because everybody's selling a lot of times the same commodity or same stuff. But if you've got some secret sauce or some unique way that's how you can be much more valuable than company ABC over here that sells the exact same thing. Absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the things that I, you know, we, we did several mergers and acquisitions and that, that was squarely on my plate to uh, negotiate those and then make those work. And, you know, I was always looking for, and not everybody does this. So I, I you know, I put that asterisk out there. 
I was always looking for what's the diamond in the rough that is doing something that's going to level my entire team up because we, we acquired this, this little pocket, who's doing something great over here. And, you know, I, I'll go back to, um, you know, the environment or the culture and what they're exposed to a lot of times will determine the future value of someone. And, you know, I had a, had a team member we acquired uh, or we, we inherited through an acquisition and this young man had, well, I say young man, he was actually older than I, I am, but he'd been in the same store for six years. He had been in the same role and he had never made more than $50,000 in a year. In fact, I think it was like 48 and change in that role in that store. We did not change the store. We did not change the store manager. We just brought in our compensation structure and our dedication to learning. I taught our team every single month in person. They heard it from me. And the next, so the year that we acquired them, we acquired them in we, March 1st was when we took over. And that year he made $84,000. The following year he made $92,000. Same store, same gentleman, same store manager, different environment. And I think that goes, we were talking before we started recording this about winning habits or losing habits. And I think, you know, I think this is an important one to talk about because we see it in sports a lot, but you know, it applies to business as well. Absolutely. And, you know, you can get used to, I mean, the, the great part about being human is you can get used to just about anything. The bad part about being human is you can get used to just about anything. And that, in, that also, that includes winning and losing. And, you know, We've heard the term of being in the groove. We've heard the term of being in a rut. Well, the difference between the two is performance. If if you're used to losing, you're in a rut. If you're loose, if you're used to winning, well, you're in a groove. Well, it's up to you as the leader, the business owner, or upper leadership, however that looks like in your company, to set that bar. You determine what's acceptable. And most people are not going to go beyond you. So if you don't think it's possible, then you're probably right. But if you think it's possible, then there are going to be others that, that get on the wagon with you and, and they're there to fan the flame and, and, you know, go do amazing things, but don't water your own team down because of your own negativity. I mean, one, one of the biggest things I think is just lost out there is what I'm going to call uh, appropriate energy. And what I mean by that is I'm not telling you to go cheerlead the person that's doing it wrong. You want to encourage the behavior you want repeated. And so you as a leader have got to be providing energy. You've got to be pouring energy into the things that you want to continue and grow and are are good for everyone at your company. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all too, too often, either people don't do it they just, it's, they're only going to uh, scream and shout when somebody's doing the wrong thing, or they just do it blindly and they give kudos just to give kudos. And that's even worse because, you know, I think it's Dave Ramsey that says uh, sanctioned incompetence demoralizes the rest. And that's when you are either letting a bad activity happen or you're providing encouragement to the one that everybody knows <laughs> is doing it wrong. Um and, and there's no way to cover that up that, I mean, you, you need to be engaged in your business. Now that doesn't mean that you need to, uh, run that business with an iron fist and micromanage, 
but it does mean that you need to know what's going on day in, day out, and that it's headed in the right direction. And I think that this goes back to one of our podcasts early back in January. It's around those KPIs and setting those measurements for people mm-hmm. that they know how they're doing. And you make sure that those KPIs are big enough straddle for people to get to, but that people can figure out where they're going. And most people will exceed their KPIs given the right run, you know, run effort and the ability to coach and give them the room to do the things they need to do. And, you know, all I, we always talk about sports and stuff, Benny. I mean, this all, again, it comes back to, if you look at sports and stuff, Jim and I are here in Tennessee. And if you looked at the Vols football team several years ago, they were in a rut. I mean, they were, they would sort of win, but never win. Then you get a new coach two years ago. They are in a groove. I mean, it's, it's a mindset. He didn't bring on the greatest players. I think, you know, again, you talked when, before we started recording the fact that, you know, you'd rather have, C-level players that play together versus a bunch of superstars that try to be individuals out there. And I think, again, that's an important piece as you're looking at your team to make sure that you've got that team effort and think about what's going on and how you drive it and and make results. Because the end is you want to make as much money when you sell that business at the end to make it valuable. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's, that's kind of always been my go-to. I couldn't, I couldn't always afford the uh, the top talent in the marketplace, but you can build winning teams with maybe more ideal budgets, especially to start. You can put the incentives out there that you know the growth will fund and put people in positions where they can win. You know, I always I always try to make sure I was hiring to my weakness. I was hiring the best person possible, and then we always stuck stuck to just the, not just the concept, but we were, we are always rooted in performance matters, you know? Um, and I don't mean that in a negative way. So, you know, a lot of times culture can try to water down performance for all types of reasons, right? For all types of agendas. And at the end of the day, you need to reward performance. You need to recognize performance and, Uh, most of your metrics need to be rooted in that. And, you know, one of the things that we always did is I had a stock price. And so uh, what I meant by that is uh, every team member in every store and every type of position had a stock price. And so let's just say as a, as a rep in a store or as a store manager, you had seven metrics that you were graded on. Six of those metrics would be firmly rooted in math, (laughs) how you performed. The seventh category, a lot of times was more objective and it was one, you know, let's just say there were seven, seven people in that, in that category, it would be ranked one to seven on whether or not you were my go-to person that I could count on you to get that done. And what that allowed me to do is that allowed me to have a category that I, you know, I might have a top performer that was crushing it, but sometimes those those egos of those people are unmanageable. Hmm. And so, if you have this other category that is more objective, where you can say, you know, by all rights, you should be the number one across the board, but I can't count on you. Hmm. That allows you to have that kind of conversation, and vice versa. It's all back into that all in. I mean, this is you know. 
it's why you're doing it, but it's also as you get near that finish line is still doing all that same stuff that you're talking about of hiring the right people, having those KPIs. I love your analogy, you know, Hey, I'll come up with all these great ideas. If I own the business or after I sell it, we'll do it now. It's like, why aren't you doing it now? I mean, I think that's a great one. Yeah. And, and, you know, it also occurs to me too, that this isn't just a problem. If you're looking to sell the business, I, recognize people who have had success and they wanted to get a certain revenue dollar amount, personal income. And once they got there, they kind of coasted and their business kind of suffered because of it. This is something, this is a cautionary tale for any business owner out there. I think it is, you know, it's, it's up to you to set the tone. And Mm -hmm. if you let off the gas, your team knows it. Now you might have a very legitimate reason for letting off the gas, but you better have a contingency plan in place. You know, sometimes you know, we go through this with uh, owners that, you know, sometimes maybe they're selling because of a health issue. And, you know, they were very active in the business and now all of a sudden they're not, but they haven't delegated someone to be in charge of energy. You know, they haven't put someone in charge of that and putting no one in charge of it is basically just going to let it flounder. And and, mm-hmm. and that's just human nature. You know, it's not like they're... Um, they're intentionally going, you know what, we're going to decrease the value of this company. But, you know, again, whether it is because you've gotten senioritis, whether it is um, maybe you've gotten stale, I mean, that's up to you to fix realistically. And and sometimes it's, it's just somebody acknowledge, I mean, you need coaches in your life. We all do in all mm-hmm. different types uh, in, or in all different areas of our life to call us out on our BS that sometimes other people won't. Maybe it's a family member or someone that, you know, they're just being nice to you. So they don't, they don't, they don't call you out on it. You need a coach that holds you accountable. And, yeah. uh, you know, I was fortunate. I had a great business coach here in Nashville, uh, Chris Weinberg. And he never hesitated to call me out when, when I was uh, laying up or phoning it in. And I, I would encourage every business owner, regardless of where you're at in your path, whether you're a startup, whether you're, you know, uh, you know, in the middle of your career or whether you're looking to sunset, you need a coach in your life to hold accountability or someone uh, that is that is helping you t- stay true to, the, true to the course. You know, it occurs to me that in order to have success and being able to stretch yourself, you got to do things maybe a little unorthodox, a little different. You know, in, in my case, you know, I, I used to run like three or four or five miles and Dennis, I don't know if you noticed, but I've completed several marathons. Hey, Jim, is there anything athletic-wise maybe you could share with us that maybe is a little unconventional? <laughs> and, I, and then to be fair, to be fair, I'm setting Jim up a little bit for this one because when Dennis told me about this, I think my jaw hit my desk as he was telling me this. And Jim, I love this story. So can you tell us a little bit about maybe something you do a little unconventional? Well, you know, if we backed up to high school, I would have been the, the one voted least likely to be on the cover of the sports page, much less than anything <laughs> else. And, um, you know, as we move through history, then I got, I really kind of became known for doing things that other people thought were impossible. You know, in business, grew a business from $6 million to a little over $100 million, uh, was Nashville's fastest growing company back-to-back years. And... Um, in sports, it's kind of the same thing. So I have a Guinness World Record for bowling backwards. And, 
and and I know all of us say, what does that mean? So (laughs) exactly, because I have a hard time bowling forward. So (laughs) I I don't bowl forward at all. People just assume that I'm just amazing forward if I'm if I'm that good backwards. Um, (laughs) But back in back in 2002, I started bowling and I started bowling backwards. So I went out with some friends. We were bowling one night. They were all bowlers. I was not. And as a joke, I threw a ball behind me. And what should have been just a joke that, you know, went on, I don't know. It was not. So what happened is I got a strike on the very first ball. I turn around and my my friends are instantly angry. And I didn't understand why they were angry, but it was because they were serious bowlers. And what I just did was not serious. And so they bet me any ball in the pro shop that a human being could not bowl 150 backwards. And so that took about six weeks. And so by then I was better backward than I was forward. I never turned around. Uh, so it's allowed me to do all kinds of crazy things. So I've been on Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel. I've been on Good Morning America twice. I was the opening entertainment for uh, the first Disney bowling alley. I was on 70-something channels around the world. Um, I flew to Japan, did some TV shows over there, have the Guinness World Record. Um, and then the craziest part about it is uh, back in November of this past year, I shot the world's first 300 bowled backwards. So that's a perfect oh my game. Goodness. And <laughs> most of it was on was recorded. And then uh, on top of that, the uh, powers that be at Bowler's Journal International Magazine put me on the cover back in February. And that would have, that would have been one of the things that I would have just told you would never happen because I'm too controversial in bowling. And for them to step out on a ledge like that, um, it was just amazing. And so so Jim, to, to get to that 300, I'm assuming it took a lot of some practice, some dedication, not giving up and keep pushing until you hit that goal that you set for yourself. Yeah. You know, again, it's, it's one of those things. If you don't think it's possible, then it's not. And, you know, self-talk, you know, a lot of people don't put value in self-talk. I do. Uh, A couple things happened that day of the 300 that should have made that 300 impossible. I woke up that morning and my thumb had a splinter in it and it was swollen so big it wouldn't even go in the bowling ball. Mm. So I'm, I'm getting ready for the tournament and my finger won't go in the ball. So I go in the restroom uh, here at the house, take out an 18 gauge needle, basically do surgery on the thumb, get it drawn off enough to where it'll go in a bowling ball. And I looked in the mirror because my son was going with me that morning and he hardly ever had been able to go before. And I was angry. I was visibly angry. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I gave myself a pep talk and I said something that I had never said before in my entire life. I said, it'd be a good day for a 300. And I don't know why I said that. I had never said it to myself before. I got to the bowling center and uh, Miss Brenda Green, who was our uh, board of directors president uh, for the association, I told her the same thing. And she laughed and she said, oh my gosh, this place would, would just burn down. They would love it. And sure enough, fast forward 90 minutes later, I shoot 300 in front of the hometown crowd during a tournament and that place, they lost their minds. And 
you know, it was it was my bowling sponsor. It was their number one or I think number five video of the year within seven days of it coming out. Um, <laughs> and just, you know, it, fanfare all around the globe. And but along the way, there has been all kinds of, you know, um, one of the most predominant bowling figures in the world. My second year of bowling refused to bowl with me in the middle of bowl expo. He threw his ball in his bag, pointed at me and said, not with me, you don't. And he walked out. <laughs> I seriously thought about quitting. But, you know, I didn't give up. And fast forward, you know, they picked 12 people a year to be on the cover of this magazine. And it took 21 years to get there. But, you know, I was the cover. That's you need to send him an autographed copy of that. <laughs> well, I don't mention his name because he's no longer among among the living. Uh, so uh. Not to speak ill ill of someone's name, but um, you know, you are capable of amazing things mm. if you believe and you do not give up and push all the way I, through. I mean, that's yeah. the key. I love that, Jim. That's an amazing story. I love it and. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot that I've learned today. Certainly I've written just pages of notes and I think this is fantastic. Uh, if people wanted to get in touch with you and they had some questions, whether it's, uh, you know, they needed some help in getting their business right, or maybe bowling tips, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Absolutely. They can, they can email me directly or they can call me. So my email is Jim C at since or you can call me directly, 615-268-5627. Don't miss on this opportunity. I think that Jim is, you know, we're going to have you back here, Jim. I think that there's so much more to talk about. And I know there's a number of things and topics that uh, would be useful for our audience. So we'd like to have you back at a later date. But thank you so much for stopping by today. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Jim. Thanks, Jim. You bet. Thanks for joining us today on Work From Home with you guys. Listen, if you want to get in touch with me, the best way to do it is get in touch by sending me an email, benny at velocitytechnology.group. That's B-E-N-N-Y at velocitytechnology.group. Dennis, if some people think that they need to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, there's two ways. One is the email, Dennis J, so it's D-E-N-N-I-S-J, at worksolution.com. So it's W-O-R-X. And then solution, no S at the end.com. Or I'm on LinkedIn a lot under Dennis Jackson. And you can search for works or, w, or also the work from home with two guys were there as well. So would love to hear from you guys and help out any way we can. Thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you at the next episode. You've been listening to WSH with two guys. We'll see you next time.